Hello world. Thank you so much for tuning in to this first episode of season two of Black in Fashion. So you all already know there is a lot going on in the world right now. So I really look forward to bringing you quality content this season. Before jumping right into things, there is one slight change happening. Instead of releasing episodes weekly, you can expect a new episode every other week instead. Now, I'll still be recording profile, interview, and discussion episodes, so you already know what to expect there. So, without further ado, I bring to you episode one, season two of Black in Fashion. That's the whole point of what I'm doing. Like, me being this martyr is so that somebody else can do this shit with impunity later. You know what I'm saying? Like, so many black designers out here are scared to death of being a black designer. I'm not the next one that comes up after me, comes up after Telfar, comes up after Rachel Omundi, that comes up after Jerry Lorenzo, that comes up after us, will never have to apologize for their color again. That clip you just heard was from an interview with Kirby John Raymond and Gerard Adams. I referenced a lot of information in this nearly hour-long interview called How to Disrupt an Industry, The Untold Story of Kirby John Raymond. You can find it yourself on YouTube at Gerard Adams, a.k.a. the Millennial Mentors YouTube channel. In today's episode, I'm going to profile the career of Kirby John Raymond. He's the founder of fashion label Pierre Moss and is best known for using his platform to share the Black American experience through storytelling and, according to Business of Fashion, provocative showmanship. His accomplishments include winning the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund Award and the collaboration of the year for his collab with Reebok in 2018. He's also a member of the CFDA board, as well as the Business of Fashion 500, which he later renounced, even though he's still listed on their website. He's also been listed as one of Forbes 30 Under 30, and most recently, he was listed as one of Time's Nets 100, which basically honors rising stars who've shaped the future of various industries, from entertainment and sports to health and, obviously, fashion. Despite these accolades, Kirby was not an overnight success. It's almost ironic that he's just recently being recognized as an emerging talent when his brand has existed since 2013, and he was in fashion prior to that. Because of the number of bad business deals and being virtually outcasted for speaking its truth, the notoriety Kirby and Pierre Moss have today came at a huge cost over the years. My name is CJ, and welcome to Black in Fashion, a podcast that highlights key Black figures who have impacted the world of fashion as we know it today, as well as those who continue to influence its ever-changing industry. Each episode, we'll profile different people from past to present, as well as conduct interviews and engage in dialogue around race and diversity within the fashion industry. Haitian-American designer Kirby John Raymond was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. His mother died when he was only seven, so he was raised by his father for the most part. He had to start working from an early age to help support the household, so he started working at a shoe store when he was only 13. Now, he had to lie about his age to get the job, but he started working and getting his own money long before any of his other friends. During his interview with Gerard Adams, he admitted to wanting to be a sneaker designer from an early age. He took this passion with him when he was accepted into the High School of Fashion Industries in New York, but unfortunately, they discontinued the jewelry and accessories program where he wanted to be, so instead, he was forced to focus on design and pattern making. He was admittedly pretty disruptive in school, even though his teachers could tell he was a brilliant student, but he needed an outlet aside from just school and work. 
At age 14, in part thanks to a teacher at his school, Kirby started an internship with Kay Unger. Now, this was nothing glamorous, and it was the typical fashion internship of fetching coffee, filing papers, you know, busy work. He did this until we finally met Kay Unger herself. After having a conversation with her, he was made an apprentice where he learned more about draping, adobe, and skills that you could only really pick up from the real world. He was at a very unique position because he was going to school, working in the shoe store, but also taking what he learned from his apprenticeship and tying it all back to the things he learned in school and seeing how it applied to actual business. He was somewhat at an advantage to the point where he was being offered full-time designer jobs after high school. Now, despite these offers, he still went to college at Hofstra University, where he earned his BA in business administration in 2008. Now, he credits college to really opening up his world to different perspectives. So remember, at this time, he hadn't really left the confines of Brooklyn or the garment district where he works. So this is all he knew. College allowed Kirby to travel, meet different people, learn other cultures, and really expand his creative discipline. As much things that were taken away from me early, the one thing that the universe gave me back was access. And um, a lot of times it felt accidental, but I don't really believe in accidents. I got a lot of access, worlds and places and people. And, and, and the way I got it was like, I stumbled on, stumbled upon these things and people recognized my talent, but there was like, oh, also like, um, I happened to be at, at the right places at the right time. And I, and, and I showed a drive early on that made people want to invest their time in me. And, and, but access was definitely the, the trade-off. One thing I like is that he credits access to being a major key to some of his earlier success. I referenced my interview with Mimi Plonge in season one. She used the same word when describing how some designers are able to make it in the industry before others. Now, Kirby by no means had tons of access growing up, but his exposure to the right people and places at the right time really helped him grow into his own. After college, Kirby continued freelance working for a few different designer brands such as Marc Jacobs, Theory, and Kenneth Cole, all while working on his own designs. During the interview, he told a story about an investment he'd made with a friend from high school to help create a brand. He invested about 50K into this deal, but he was ultimately kicked out of everything, even after helping her build the brand to present to investors. This happened without any sort of contract, so he basically invested all of this time, effort, and money for nothing. Unfortunately, this wouldn't be the first bad deal he faced as a budding designer. But despite the setback, this moment fueled his creativity, and he eventually found another investor. He'd worked on finding a sampler for this camo leather jacket design he wanted to create. Once he found his sampler, he was able to create three samples of this camo leather jacket. He gave one to his girlfriend at the time and another to a friend who gave it to another friend who passed it along until it eventually ended up on Rihanna in 2013. Not everyone in fashion knows and even knew at the time that if your piece was seen on Rihanna, of all people, that is a huge deal. Now, Kirby hadn't even named his brand or had much time to establish a brand because, remember, he was still trying to create samples at the time. So Rihanna wearing his jacket was huge, especially in 2013 at the rise of Instagram and social media. Now, initially, when everyone saw the jacket on Rihanna, credit was given to Ricardo Tichy at Givenchy at the time. But luckily, Kirby had a friend in publishing who quickly helped him get the credit he deserved. When she asked him the name of his brand, he said Pierre Moss, his late mother's maiden name. Before he knew it, he was advertising the brand himself with a lot of coming soon posts to his own social media. The name was just starting to get a buzz and the people were watching and paying attention, so he soon received orders from larger retailers, Barney's being one of the bigger names. From his account, however, most of those retailers never paid a dime. So I'm not sure if it's that he actually got no money or if nothing was profitable from these orders, but either way, 
This growth was financially difficult to keep up with, and his partners and producers did not make things any easier. After doing a few more projects, including costuming for an Usher tour, Kirby struck a deal with another investor. Now, this investor owned a production company, so this was a strategic move to help him manage his production, create samples, and run operations for his rapidly growing business. Unfortunately, the company ended up stealing money from him. The deal he signed essentially gave up 70% of the profit, leaving Kirby and the brand with about 30%. Pierre Moss was already understaffed and grossly underpaid at the time and still wasn't seeing profitability despite the rise in publicity. It eventually got to a point where Kirby himself went out to take a loan for the company and learned that he actually owned less than 10% of the Pierre Moss brand. This was considered a low point for Kirby financially, mentally, and emotionally. Now think about it, his brand was getting so much buzz on social media, sponsorships, and was in the limelight of fashion at the time, but he was legitimately struggling financially at the exact same time. Around this point of his career, Kirby launched his infamous spring 2016 collection, Adabenga. The show was titled after Adabenga, the Congolese man who was put on exhibition at the Bronx Zoo in 1906, which was just barely over a century ago, mind you. This show focused on police brutality at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement and addressed an ugly truth of American history. Now, according to Kirby, the collection was based on captivity and incorporated a lot of straps and buckles and restraint elements to it. He equated the constant publicizing of police brutality and injustice of Black people to animals being kept in a zoo, the zoo in this case being America. Now, in the collection, he used fashion as a means of political and social commentary on police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement. He did this in the most apparent of ways and even featured a video at the beginning with several designers and other celebrities who shared their opinions on systematic racism. The video played at the beginning of the show, and it was about the lack of empathy that existed in modern day society at the time, especially against black people. The entire collection really went there at a time when the socio-political climate in the U.S. was already very intense and the subject matter was very controversial. So the collection featured blood-splattered shoes and a jacket with breathe on the back, signifying Eric Garner's last words, I can't breathe. The looks were very utilitarian with asymmetrical lines and a futuristic undertone. But he wanted the collection to be ugly, jarring, and make the audience uncomfortable, which it did. Following that show, Pierre Moss lost nearly all of their accounts, with the exception of Essence, American Rag, and Harvey Nichols in Hong Kong. He was essentially blacklisted from major fashion publications and even started receiving death threats because of the show. He fell into a state of depression and nearly walked away from the company before channeling that energy into his Nets collection. What made this particular collection unique, aside from the subject matter, was that he collaborated with none other than Erica Badu for styling. According to Kirby, in this same interview on YouTube, he was opening up to Badu about quitting the industry and she encouraged him not to. In that conversation, he said that he would keep going if she helped him style his next collection. And there you have it. Erica Badu, aside from being a legendary musician, is one of the most stylish people I know, so this was definitely a match made in heaven. Now, according to L.com, the autumn-winter 2016 show called Double Bind addressed the tension and anguish that existed when conflicting demands are placed on an individual. For this particular collection, Kirby John Raymond struggled with his desire to explore issues that matter deeply to him while also appealing to luxury retailers, a battle that many designers face when producing a collection after collection. But this matter definitely hit closer to home. 
Now, in an interview with Erica Badu about her helping him style, Badu stated that she had absolutely no relationship with the fashion industry, despite starring in campaigns with both Tom Ford and Givenchy in the past. But that's neither here nor there. What I found interesting is that she actually doesn't have to be in fashion to live a shared experience and translate that message to an audience through style. Like I said before, Erica Badu is one of the most stylish people I know. So seeing her collaborate with Kirby on this project was perfect, literally. The show closed with a model carrying a poster that said, my demons won today, I'm sorry. Now, this was the final message of Marshawn McCarroll, who was a Black Lives Matter activist, and he had actually committed suicide earlier that month. So Kirby managed to still bring a conscious message to the collection. Now, this collection had actually received pretty stellar reviews, um, especially considering the last show. And he even got a really good review from Vogue just from this collection. So again, you know, Pierre Moss is sort of back in the limelight. It's getting way more attention after that last collection. But financial struggles still continue despite the great press. So the following year, he got a call from Reebok to launch a collection which would give him total creative control. Things actually started looking up when that deal was struck and Kirby was able to not only buy out his scamming investors, but take his company back. So this deal was struck in 2018, I believe, and the product is amazing. So if you haven't seen it, you can actually check out PierreMoss.com today and support this amazing designer. So the story doesn't end here, and Kirby didn't stop speaking out after 2015. Just at the end of last year, Business of Fashion closed out Paris Fashion Week with the BOF 500 Gala, which highlighted some of the global leaders in the fashion industry, one of which was Kirby John Raymond. Long story short, the guests of the gala were greeted at the door by a majority Black gospel choir, which, according to John Raymond, was for a majority white crowd. From his perspective, this was done as sort of a self-serving hype moment where Blackness and Black culture is essentially bought for show. Now, this instance was actually sort of the straw that broke the camel's back with Kirby and Business of Fashion, um, because before the gala even happened, he was actually contacted to be one of the three covers for Business of Fashion's magazine they were planning on releasing in the coming months. So that cover story never happened. But this, you know, he found that out after he had already given them more information about projects he was working on and Pierre Moss. And so at that point, he had basically felt snubbed. Before that situation, Business of Fashion actually asked Kirby to come speak at their summit in London to tell the story of Pierre Moss and how he navigated the industry, similar to the interview that I sourced for this episode. Now, at this point, he had stopped doing group panels, so this was actually a great opportunity for him. He was really excited about it until learning mid-flight to London that he was actually going to be part of a diversity panel. Now, his reason for not wanting to be on a panel, according to this article, was the feeling of being lumped into the Black designer category or diversity and inclusion panel, where his perspective and experience may differ immensely from his peers, making their race completely irrelevant to the conversation of fashion. But instead, they're forced to, and I'm paraphrasing his words here, speak all together in the commonality of their Blackness and forced to disagree on a public platform, all by being tasked with the emotional labor of making everyone else feel comfortable. So, again, before the Business of Fashion Gala, he was invited to speak at, you know, what he thought was an individual interview. It actually ended up being another diversity panel without his knowledge. And he allowed the editor-in-chief of Business of Fashion to pick his brain after being promised a cover of the magazine, which never happened. 
Kirby explains the details of all these things in his article, which you can find on medium.com called Business of Fashion 500 is now 499, where Kirby basically goes into detail about everything we talked about that went on with Business of Fashion and why he was sort of renouncing his membership as one of the Business of Fashion 500. So the editor-in-chief of BOF, Imran Ahmed, responded to Kirby on Business of Fashion with an article called Why I'm Listening to Kirby John Raymond. So the article was basically an apology where Imran was talking about his own struggles with diversity as a gay Muslim and immigrant parents, why Business of Fashion focuses on diversity and how they hire a diverse group of people without directly addressing some of the major points of Kirby's points of frustration. But he did close the article inviting Kirby to sit down and discuss his point of view with him, which I doubt actually happened. What's interesting about this is that Kirby, despite being blacklisted and facing some major hardships while trying to build his brand in the fashion industry, did not hold his tongue on this issue. He was challenging the editor-in-chief of one of today's most powerful publications in fashion, rivaling that of Vogue. He did this for himself and his peers, regardless of what others thought. He was a lot more fearless than many other designers in his position, and for that, I think Kirby John Raymond deserves all and more the recognition he's gotten for his work. Beyond fashion, Kirby John Raymond is an activist, and he uses his platform to unapologetically speak on issues that impact his community, regardless of how controversial or uncomfortable it makes his peers and others around him. This is why I respect him, not just as a designer, but as a key opinion leader in today's cultural landscape. Black in Fashion is written and produced by me, edited by Joelle North. The theme music is from PBTM Production Music Library, and background music for our profile episodes comes from Lakey Inspired. The title is Better Days. Please like, subscribe, review, and rate Black and Fashion 5 stars on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Lastly, follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at BLKNFSHN. Again, That's at B-L-K-N-F-S-H-N, just like the logo. Thanks for listening.